0: Uh, We had a challenge uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we really didn't know we had a challenge until we saw the evidence of mice in our home. And uh, so we did some research, and being the great protector of Cleveland over the killer deer, I decided to protect our home over the killer mice, and I went to Ace Hardware and I got three kind of traps. I got the trap that whacks you. I got the trap that sticks you. And I got the trap that poisoned you. And so I subtly set, I set the track that'll whack you and the track that'll stick you. And in less than 24 hours, the trap that whacks you whacked him. And uh, it, it uh, did what it was supposed to do. He smelt peanut butter he was stupid he went for that peanut butter and i whacked him he's not big enough to mount but he was big enough to eat and then the next night christine heard a noise a squealing noise in the closet and sure enough we caught one in the sticky stuff and that sticky stuff has some kind of fragrance that attracts the mouse and uh, and so we caught him. I will tell you something crazy though. I took him outside and put him just him over the fence. No, and he didn't. yes. And when I and when I went back to, to pick it, he was gone. He got off. He got loose. Oh. So we're after him. <laughs> I don't know how he got, but he got out in the yard. He got loose. That's, that's the cat. The cat may have got him. Yeah. You never know. The cat may have got him. But I put poison out. So if the cat doesn't get him the poison will get him. But uh, I, I thought how humorous that was because the direction I wanted to go today was in the area of the three traps of temptation. And the word temptation in Webster's dictionary says to seduce, to allure, to distract, to get us off course. To seduce, to allure, to distract, to get us off course. I got to thinking about the word allure. Uh, I have uh, several ta- tackle boxes and several drawers uh, full of baits. I have baits that float. I have baits that sink. I have baits that light up. Uh, I have baits that look like uh, bullfrogs. I have baits that look like caterpillars. I have baits that look like water moccasins. And in the past several years, I've fished all my life. My, my dad was a very avid fisherman, and we went to the ocean quite a bit. And then we would go to Oklahoma. We would fish all the families, cow, cow ponds. And uh, I've been fishing for a long time, and I'm, I'm a pretty good, I'm a pretty good fisher, fisherman. Uh, I caught a 16-foot shark. The shark was two feet smaller than the boat, and we got the shark up to where we could have harpooned it had we wanted to. We didn't. We cut it loose. I cut a 300-pound halibut. And the way I cut the shark, there was a big old... Um, uh, it, was a, it was a shad, it was a uh, bonita, it was about that long and I gutted it and sliced it up and I threw it off in the water, it was all stinky and bloody and the shark nailed it and so I nailed the shark and then uh, the halibut I used a uh, uh, dead chicken, uh, I could have used a live chicken but it was 80 foot deep, didn't know the chicken could breathe that long but at the halibut I caught the chicken. I've caught a 10-pound bass. I caught a 35-pound carp one day. That's crazy. And I caught the biggest catfish ever caught was 50 pounds. Uh, I've caught uh, 50-pound salmon. I've caught 12-pound steelhead trout. I caught a 10-pound. I've caught several 10-pound largemouth bass. But I have in my tackle box the ability to allure that fish. When that fish sees that bait, it doesn't see the number two hook hidden in that bait all it sees is the bait and that's exactly the way the enemy operates he wants to bait us he wants to seduce us he wants to allure us he wants to distract us and the bible says that everyone is going to be tempted even jesus was tempted and so as we look at that as we look at that that temptation the bible says that jesus was tempted the bible says actually in hebrews 4 and 15 we have a, we have not a high priest which cannot be attached to our feelings, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So we, when Jesus was on this earth 33 years, the same temptations that you and I experienced, he experienced, but he did not submit to them. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 that God will not allow us to be tempted more than we're able to, uh, to handle. And sometimes I feel like that uh, I, I've been tempted where I felt like it was out of my control and i and i was caught up i don't know how many i don't know how many can relate but the devil is a liar and he comes to steal to kill and deceive and we learned last week that he will accuse he will deceive and he will tempt so temptation is one of his main areas of trying to distract you and hinder you and get you away from your purpose and from your destiny if you look with if you look with me Matthew 4 Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized in the river by his cousin. The Bible says, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. And I've learned in life that immediately after a great spiritual victory, there will always come a great spiritual battle. It seems like times in our life when we are the closest to God and we're the highest in our spiritual walk, it seemed like when things are going so good, and I've, uh, if you're around me a very long at all and you start telling me all the good things that are going on, I always introduce a word of warning. Things are going so good. Be very careful that the enemy does not try to blindside you or to try to slam you or try to distract you or try to tempt you, because that's the way he rolls, and that's the way he rolled with Jesus. Jesus lived 30 years as the Son of God. As far as we know, he committed, he performed no miracles. At the age of 12, he confounded the Bible scholars in the temple. But he did, he, he did no miracles until he was announced by God who he was. And in the, in the Jordan River, when he was baptized, God said, This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased, and he will go from the river to a wedding, and there he will form his, perform his first miracle. He will turn the water into wine. But before he performed a miracle, before he operated as the Son of God, as the Messiah, the Bible says in Matthew 4 and verse 1, Then was Jesus led up in the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hunger. That meant he was hungry. Look at somebody say 40 days without food. He was probably pretty weak. He was probably pretty puny. He was probably feeling pretty down. The tempter said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Then the devil takes him up into the holy city, and sets him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee concerning thee, and in their hands they will bear thee up, lest thou dash thy foot. Against a stone, Jesus said again, "It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God." Again, the devil taketh him up into a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and said unto them, "All these things will I give thee, if thou will take, if thou wilt fall down and worship me." Then said Jesus unto him, "Get thee behind me, Satan! For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve." Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Some pretty incredible things in this story, and there's some pretty incredible observations that, that I would like to, to make this morning, and I want to show you three areas that the enemy will tempt you in. He will tempt you in the area of pleasure, he'll tempt you in the area of pride, and he'll tempt you in the area of power, but I thought what was... Uh, ironic in this story it's a direct parallel of the story that takes place in Genesis 3 and 1 where the serpent came to Adam and Eve and they were in a garden and he showed her the fruit she saw that it was it was she saw that it was good and then she was told the fruit would make her like God and then she was told that the fruit would make her wise in those three areas in the area of pleasure she saw that it was good to eat it was pleasurable she was told that she would be like God and, and, and touched in her, on her prideful spirit. And then it said she would be wise and, and have the power of God. And so that all happened in a garden where they hadn't been fasting. They, hadn't been, they weren't hungry. They weren't thirsty. But in the very utopia of the perfect environment, the enemy came and tempted them. And that's exactly the way that he will work. You know, if the enemy can't beat you up, he'll just let you be blessed. And hopefully you'll forget about the purpose and plan of God. And you will go and do your own thing. When I think about the temptation of pleasure, I think about the life that we live now. And I actually, Sherry, I was thinking about Alex. Alex has been home. He's been serving the Lord, going to church, loves the Lord. But now he's in a brand new environment, not just the environment of being 18, but an environment of peer pressure where some of the guys may drink a beer, some of the girls may try to hit on him, whatever. But this is a whole other world for him. This is, a, this, is a, this is a journey that he was prepared as a child, not to submit to temptation. And the way the enemy works, he makes it look so good, whether it is pornography or whether it is drugs or whether it's alcohol or whether it's shopping or whether it's food, he makes it look so good, and we divulge ourselves because of the pleasure that it brings. Uh, Pastor Ron and I have a dear friend. He went on to be with the Lord. Uh, he, he ministered here. He was a preacher's preacher. Uh, he was obese, and there was a day when we were talking, and he shared with me uh, some areas of his life that he had let get out of order. And uh, he made a statement that uh, it really it really bothered me. It really troubled me. It really... Maybe want to pray for him even more. He said that he had lost the ability to be full. He had lost, how many knows what it's like to eat until you can't eat anymore? And that, that feeling, and he had lost that feeling because his stomach had shrunk, his stomach had, had grown to the area of he never was satisfied. And Michael, I thought about that. How sad to live a life that you're never satisfied. And that's exactly the way the enemy works. It's never good enough. The addiction is not just tobacco. The addiction is not just alcohol. But then all of a sudden it's pills, and then it's meth, and then it's cocaine, then it's this, then it's that. You know, the, 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 the pleasure in going and buying groceries, that, that, that desire to spend money, that is a drug and that has ruined more families and more homes probably than any other cause because there, there's something in us that we love to shop, shop till we drop. I know people that go on 30-mile, um, help me, yard sales. I know people get up at 5 o'clock on Good Friday uh, or Black Friday, whatever you want to call it, after Thanksgiving, and people are lined up out the door like, I mean, we're talking about blocks. People are lined up trying to get in that good shopping, trying to get in that, trying to get in that mode. And you know what? It's okay to enjoy spending money just as long as you don't max out your credit cards and you don't hawk everything you got to have money because if you're not careful, that, that desire to be pleasurable and to, and to have pleasure will overwhelm you and will, and will take away the things that you have and leave you penniless and helpless and hopeless. Do I have a friend in the house today? It is, uh, I've been told, never go shopping when you're hungry. grocery shopping never go grocery shopping when you're hungry I don't do the grocery shopping but every once while I'll go into cooks and I'll get these little uh, little uh, desires and I'll go over and I always get a can of black olives and I will always get a thing of cottage cheese and I'll go get the pasta salad uh, and then I'll go get my coffee and then I may go get some rocky road ice cream and I do all that I'm not even hungry I don't know what in the world would happen if I ever went grocery shopping and I was hungry. I, I assume I would fill the cart up to overflowing and probably get home and forget. The, I, got, I forgot to get the very things I went to get. Can anybody relate? It's like Walmart. Walmart is a drug. I was so proud of myself uh, yesterday or Friday I went and bought my hunting fishing combo with my with my archery license, and I walked in. I walked into Walmart, and I walked into the hunting session, and they had stuff that I couldn't live without. Stuff I needed, a a, a camouflage, Under Armour caps, face masks, gloves. They had scent. They had they had bows. They had arrows. They had rifles. They had bullets. They had, and I was so proud of myself. The only thing I bought was a my license, and a thing that smells like dirt. And uh, when I go into the woods, I spray myself down so I don't smell like, you know, the house or the car or whatever. And the the deer don't smell because I smell like dirt. Because dirt smell deer smell dirt all the time. But I was so proud. I didn't buy any bullets. I didn't buy, I really could have used another pair of gloves. I only have 11 pair of gloves. The challenge is... They've all been separated and divided. I don't know where the left hand is to the right hand or the right hand is to the left hand. And I probably could have used another face thing to go over, uh, but it's, it's not cold yet, so I really don't need all of that. But it was so tempting yesterday to, to go to Walmart and just spend all my money. And then on the way out, I stopped by the children's section, and all I could think about was, Skylar can't live without this. She needs this toy. She needs this. Then I saw another shelf where she needed all that stuff. And it was so crazy. Then I, then I head towards the music department, and they got DVDs on sale for like four bucks. Hello, four bucks. And there are movies that I didn't even like or enjoy, but I started to buy them because it was four bucks Do so I have a friend in the house. So there's a demon, there's a, temp, there's, a, there's a temptation demon that comes upon you and always wants more. It's never enough. How many knows that? When you're overwhelmed by whatever it is, it's never enough. And then you get to a place where you spend every waking moment wondering how you're going to get more money to buy more stuff, you know, I've learned, I learned very early in life that when I tithe, the rest of my income is holy. That's what the Bible says. And God gives me the wisdom to delegate. And God gives me the wisdom. God gives me the wisdom to, to, to invest correctly. And I believe, I believe tithing is a process that has brought balance in my life. Because if I had that other 10% yesterday, I probably would have bought a pair of gloves I don't need, a pair of face masks that I already have. If I went through my stuff, And Pastor Todd knows that my garages are a joke. They're literally um, they're stacked high of fishing poles and 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 ladder stands and tree stands and and duck decoys and duck and dove decoys and. It's like, man, I could open up my own little store right here and I'll have to work for a year. i just sell all this junk in here that I'll probably never use. I can't find the left hand anyway. And there's always someone out there that will buy two right-handed gloves. I know. I met them in life. I meet them in the parking lot of Walmart. Uh, you might be a redneck if you buy two left-handed gloves. And so I guess I guess the point is in, in the area of temptation, there has to be some balance. You have to know when to say no. Do I have a friend in the house? The second area that the enemy tried to t- t- tempt Jesus was he took him up in the temple and he said, all of this, all of this, can be, all of this can be yours if you'll worship me. And there the enemy dealt with Jesus' pride. And we all have pride. Uh, we all want to feel good about ourselves. We all want to look good. We all want to feel like that we've arrived, that we've accomplished some things. And I think that Pride is one of the seven deadly sins that the Lord hates A proudful look, he hates pride, he hates all that. And the third thing that the enemy tried to tempt Jesus in was power. And, you know, uh, David, I got to reading the story, and it said it took him up on a high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world, which from the Mount Olive, which is the highest mountain in Israel, you couldn't see the kingdoms of the world. So apparently the enemy took Jesus to his, his, his throne, which we know is somewhere over the area of Persia, Iran, Iraq, divided, and that's where the actual throne of Satan is. And the enemy must have taken Jesus to that to that 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 second heavenly that throne and allowed Jesus to see all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil tried to give something to Jesus he didn't have. And that he didn't own the kingdoms of the world. God Jesus owns the kingdoms of the world. Sometimes the devil will try to steal and give you something that doesn't belong to him, and you think you've arrived only to learn you've been cheated. Anybody here had a uh, identity fraud, had a had a had something taken from you, something, something happened to you, or you get a phone call from your bank and said, "Hey, someone just put a thousand dollars on your master." Anybody ha- have that? And you know that feeling? He is a thief, he's a liar, and he wants you to he wants you to think that if you follow him, you can have power. He has no power. He has no. He has no power. He has no authority that does not come from God. He's a fallen angel. He will, be, he will be judged. He will be condemned. He will be sentenced. And he will lose. Look at somebody say, one day, one day the, tempter the tempter will lose. We'll lose. And the same thing with Eve. Eve saw the, She saw the fruit. And, and she desired it there was a there was a shopping spree there there was a there was a, an addictive spree there I've got to have this and then to think that she if she ate it, she would be like God. she would know the difference between good and bad and there's the pride of life and then she saw that if she ate it, it would make her wise or there's that power. That God wanted her to have, she just named all the animals of the kingdom. She was already wise. Why in the world would she want to disobey and tap into something that did not concern her, that wasn't about her, and she did it, and you know, they all lost. Right. And I told Jean last night, I said, when Eve gets to heaven, I'm sorry, when uh, Lela gets to heaven, she needs to seek out Eve and put her in a chokehold and begin <laughs> to pound her face. That's what I would do if I was a woman. There's two reasons why I don't want to be a woman. And birthing a child is one of them. I absolutely, I can't even imagine what a woman goes through. I can't imagine. But, but the Bible says that in labor, you're going to conceive children because she disobeyed the Lord. She disobeyed God. And how, how crazy is that? There were a bunch of pastors that were meeting for a Bible study every week, Josh, and they were getting to know one another and fellowshipping and one day, one of the pastors said, you know what? I just feel like that, that I've I got a, a relationship with you, and i got some areas in my life that I want to confess. And he said, I, uh, I, I, I lie a lot. I, I lie even when I should tell the truth. I just lie. I lie all the time. And the other preacher said, man, I appreciate you saying that, and I just I steal. I embezzle from church funds. I take the tithe dollar, and I spend the church's money. And uh, so they went around the room. And uh, each preacher came up with his own thing. Well, I have a problem with lust. I have a problem with envy. I have a problem with... So one guy, Cheryl, didn't, he didn't respond. He just sat there. And they looked at him and said, Hey, what, well, what's, your, what's your problem? What's your temptation? He said, Well, he said, I gossip. And I can't wait to get out of this room. <laughs> Three lessons this morning that I would like to to leave with you Satan kept asking Jesus if you be the son of God Satan was there through all the prophecies he was there at Bethlehem he was there at the temple when he was 12 he was at the river when God said this is my beloved son Satan knew who Jesus was But he tried to convince Jesus that he wasn't who he thought he was. And that's exactly what the enemy will try to do in your life. He knows who you are in Christ. But he'll try to talk you out of your inheritance. Talk you out of your anointing, your favor, your blessings. Everything that God has for you. The enemy wants you to disqualify that. He offers counterfeit because he knows who you are in Christ. So the first lesson that you need to learn is you've got to be true to yourself. And i made some notes here as to who you are today, seated in this congregation. Are you ready for a ride? You are adopted, you're anointed, and you're awesome. You are beautiful, you're beloved, you're the bride, you're bought with a price. You're chosen, you're the church, you're a Christian. You're dedicated, you're a doer of the word. You are excellent. You're a fabulous, you're a friend of God, you're favored, and you're faithful. You're heaven-bound, and you are holy. You're full of integrity, you are irresistible, you are just. You're kingdom-minded, you're kind, you're loved. You're loved. My Lord, I can't even. Oh, you're alone and not. You're alone and not. You're married to Christ, you're a minister, you have the mind of Christ, you're not lacking. There is nothing impossible to you. You're overcomer. You are one with Christ. You're perfect. You're powerful. You are precious. You're quickened by his word. You're redeemed. You're royal. You are a saint. You're satisfied. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. You're transparent. You are totally free. You're under his covering. You are united. You are vested. You're valuable. You're a warrior. You're a winner you're worthy, you're excellent, you're extraordinary, you're youthful, and you're zealous. Zion is your home. That's the ABCs of who you are in Christ. And don't ever forget that. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of adoption, good to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit bears witness that with our spirit that we are sons of God, as sons of God, joint heirs with Christ, and joint heirs with God. That's what God's Word says. 1 John 1, said, He came into his own, his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to give him gave he power to become sons in his name. That's who you are today, a son of God. Don't you ever allow the enemy to take that away from you. Amen. The second thing that you need to know is your principles. Three times, and you, you've got to understand that in the garden, The very first person to quote the word of God was the devil. He said to Eve, hath God said, that's the rhema. The rhema word can be misquoted, mistranslated, misshared, misinformed. But there is the logos word of God, which is the written word of God that cannot be changed, is irrevocable. The Bible says that God took about 40 different men from every walk of life, whether they were a slave or whether they were emperor. and these 30 to, 50, 30 to 40 men wrote the 66 books of the Bible. The Bible says the, the Bible says that the Bible is inspired of God, and all Scripture is given for reproof for doctrine, for correction. and so you need to know the principles of the word of god do i have a friend in the house you need to know what it's written and when jesus told when jesus spoke to satan all three times he quoted deuteronomy once and the psalms twice jesus knew what the word of god had to say and he looked at the devil and said devil it is written that is the logos written word of god and and joshua 1 and 8 said this book of the mouth this book shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night to do according to all that is written therein. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. Not just success, good success. David said, thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was to me the joy and the restoring of my heart. There's something about the Bible. Pastor Rhonda is probably borderline student scholar. She spends two or three hours every morning preparing and praying, and whether she's teaching or not, she she loves the word of God and she'll come almost every day and say, "Do you know that the Bible says and this and says this right here?" And I always say, "Yes, and I I didn't know it, but I, I need needed to know it cuz I'm the pastor hello." And uh, so there's there's something about being in love with your being in love with the word of God, to love it, to read it, to open it. I've been telling Michael, "You don't have to you don't have to read a whole book every day, just read one of the proverbs." Yes. Just read I uh, t- today's the 30th. Read the, 30 chapter of Proverbs, the 31 chapters in Proverbs, one for every day of the month. Read it in the morning, and then focus on that during the day. There is a place in Kansas, and I'm going to test your, um, your knowledge today. There's a place in Kansas called the Meads Ranch. Does that mean anything to anybody? Gerald? Meads Ranch. Michael? Meads Ranch in Kansas. In 1891, the surveyors established a point, a reference, a marker. And they placed that marker in Mead's Ranch, Kansas. And from that day till now, every measurement has been measured at the starting of Mead's Ranch. When you Google your address, or you Google a city, or you Google a state, that state is located and identified by a reference point of how far it is away from Mead's Ranch. Michael, did you know that? I never, I never heard that. And in 1899, they made it the official reference point. So every single measurement, whether it's Oregon or whether it's Baltimore, it, it, is, it is, in, is in relationship to that marker, to that point. Everything we do is in relationship to the Word of God. Every area of our life, every marker, everything we determine, everything that we judge, everything we do, the Word of God should have some kind of say, some kind of authority, and some kind of direction in our life. Does that bless anybody in the house today? And the Bible is more than parables, it's more than a collector of life sayings, it's more than proverbs, it's more than prophecy. It's more than songs, it's more than poetry, it's more than history, it's more than philosophy, it's more than just stories about Jesus, but it is a hammer to convict, it is a fire to refine, it is a mirror to reflect, it is a seed to grow, it is a song to sing, it's a story to tell, It's water to cleanse, it's a sword to battle, it's a shield to protect, it's food for the hungry, it's water for the thirsty, it's milk for the infant, it's meat for the mature, it's bread for the famished, and it's honey for dessert. Do I have a friend in the house today? That's what the Bible is to us. And I have time to preach this last page. What is the Bible? Are you ready? Leah, are you trying to take notes here? 26 things I want to share with you. (laughs) Ready? To the architect, he is the blueprint. To the attorney, it is the law. To the astronomer, it is the North Star. To the banker, it's the inexhaustible treasure. To the builder, it's the plumb line. To the chef, it's the cookbook. To the coach, it's the game plan. To the computer analyst, it is the software. To the doctor, it is the medicine. To the electrician, it is a source of light. To the frame, to the farmer, it is a seed, and it is the harvest. To the engineer, it is the trisquare. square To the horticulturist, it is the tree of life. To the judge, it's the verdict. To the jury, it's the evidence. To the kitchen, it's the groceries. To the loser, it's the second chance. To the miserable, it is sovereignty, to the nutritionist it is the vitamins, to the navigator it's the compass, to the pastor it's the sermon, to the politician it's the legislation, to the musician it's the song, to the student, it's the textbook, to the teacher it's the education, and to the traveler, it's the GPS. To the weightlifter it is strength. To the excessive it is balance. And to the youth we will run and not be weary, for Zion is our home. That's what the Bible is. And I got to thinking about uh, a plumber. I, I couldn't come up with a good thing for a plumber, so I'll let you, Josh, come up with that. But I, and I was thinking about eating. How can I get, eat? How could I get Amazon in there? But I realized the Bible is something to everybody. Amen. Shall we pray? Give us a hunger. Give us a spiritual hunger for the things of God and let us learn that you hid things for us, not from us, but for us in the Word of God. The enemy quoted it, and every time he quotes it, he misquotes it.